Hello and welcome to the New Franklin Assembly podcast. We're so glad that you chose to join us today. Our church is located at 2355 New Franklin Road, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, 17202. Today, Pastor James will be continuing his sermon series, Keep the Change. The title of today's message is, Being Rich Towards God. Today, I want to finish up the mini sermon series that I started last week. I call it a mini sermon. Oh, I'm sorry. The three and four-year-olds are dismissed. Yes, I am sorry. Thank you for giving that wave. So, yes, the children are, uh, three and four-year-olds still go into their class. The rest of the children, once a month, are in the service. Gives our teachers and children's church workers a break, and it allows them to be a part of the worship service here as well. And so, amen. Again, like I said, today I want to finish up the mini-sermon series that I started last week. I call it a mini-sermon series because it's really, uh, it was only two messages, last week and today. Uh, last week I started uh, a sermon series called Keep the Change. Keep the Change. It's a message series on what the Bible teaches us about money. Now, I explained to you last week that even though I had planned this sermon series for after Missions Emphasis Month and before our Easter, uh, uh, our Easter sermon series, um, I, even though I knew where I had placed it in my calendar, what I didn't realize was that it would come after taking up so many special offerings last month. Last month, we took up a lot of special offerings, didn't we? We, we had, in three weeks, we had six different missionaries come and speak uh, and, and present needs to us about, uh, about uh, what they are, are needing to help spread the gospel around the world. We had our BGMC challenge, and I believe over $500 was raised last month. We had our Ukraine refugee uh, offering. All month, we, we, we raised money for the uh, Ukrainian refugees, and over $3,000 was raised. We also introduced to you, as, as a reminder today, we also introduced to you our Easter offering project. Uh, we're trying to raise $20,000 starting next week and all throughout May to help us fund and pay for the furnace. We need a new furnace in the basement that heats that side of the building. New air conditioning uh, ductwork that's all, all kind of, you know, there's uh, not efficient. All those uh, ductworks are, are leaking cold air in the summer times and it's not cooling and it's not heating properly on that side of the building. So starting next month, we're going to start uh, raising money to, to try to um, uh, fix that problem. And so what I want you to realize, though, is that this sermon series is not in any way a reflection of how you responded last month with all of these asks <laughs> uh, when it came to missions giving. Uh, and so our church has always been a giving church. When a need is made known, many of you are faithful and generous to help meet that need. When, when a missionary comes, when, when it comes to missions, we've always been a missions-minded church, and many of you are faithful and generous in supporting our missionaries. But we are also a church that God has called to preach and teach the full gospel of Jesus Christ, not just the part gospel, not just the comfortable part of the gospel, not just the convenient part of the gospel. And so we mentioned last week that there are over 2,500 scriptures in the Bible that deal with money. That is more than heaven and hell combined. That is more scriptures dealing with money than there are scriptures dealing with heaven and hell combined, which tells me what? Which tells me that biblical money principles are an incredibly important part of our discipleship in Jesus Christ. And if we are truly wanting to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, then we must understand biblical money principles. Yet, it's probably one of the most uncomfortable topics among Christians and in churches today. And for this reason, the money principles of many Christians are rooted and influenced more by our culture than by the Scriptures. The premise or the foundation of these two messages is in the following statement that I, that I quoted to you last week. And I, for, I think I forgot to quote the, I forgot to cite the, uh, the author of that quote. Uh, but a woman by the name of Rachel Cruz, 
Uh, and Rachel Cruz is the daughter of um, Dave Ramsey, for those who know Dave Ramsey. She says this, and I, I think I have that quote up there. Thank you. It says, if you do what culture says when it comes to money, you will get culture-like results. But if you do what the Redeemer says to do with money, you will get redeemed results. How many believe that to be true? How many know that that, that, takes, that applies to so much more areas than just money? But if we can do it with our finances, it's that much more easier to do it in other areas of our life. And so last week, we talked about the biggest lie that culture tells us about money. And we saw how that lie penetrates to many different areas of our life. Culture's biggest lie is the lie of comparison. Well, you deserve to have what they have. You deserve to look like they look. You deserve to act like they act. You deserve to believe what they believe. And it's a lie that is hard to fight against if we are constantly exposing ourselves to cultural standards. When we compare ourselves to what they have, it's because we are looking at what they have. Which means maybe it's time to get rid of our smartphones. Which means maybe it's time to get rid of social media. Which means maybe it's time to get rid of the internet or cable TV. If you are having a hard time comparing yourself with what the world is putting in front of you, well, then maybe we need to get rid of our exposure to the world, especially when it comes to your kids. Eliminate their exposure to today's culture. We talked about that in detail last week. Get rid of their smartphones and social media accounts. Smartphones and social media have been used by the devil to gain access to your kids. Social media and smartphones have been used by the devil to gain access to our kids. There's just no ends, ifs, or buts about it. I am convinced of that. And don't think for a second that your child is unaffected by the crap that comes through their phones as they're scrolling. Don't think you can keep that from them 24 uh, 7. I hear about it from my wife at schools. They're constantly having to deal with that. They're, instead of doing their studies, they're on their phones and the school can't do anything about it because their parents want them to have phones in school. And they're watching and they're seeing and they're being exposed to culture in ways that I had never been exposed to growing up or many of you haven't. And it's affecting our kids in a negative way. It's time to take extreme matters and eliminate their exposure to the, to the culture around us. Let's keep kids, kids, as long as possible. And that was last week. And if you weren't here for last week's message, then you can go online and listen to it on our website. Click on the uh, Sermon Archive button, and you can see how we can break culture's biggest deception. Today, I want to continue along those lines. Again, the sermon series is called Keep the Change. But the title to today's message is Being Rich Toward God. Again, we're dealing with principle, uh, money principles, but it applies to so much more than just our financial, the financial area of our life. Being rich toward God. Being rich is a relative term, isn't it? I mean, what exactly is being rich? How rich is rich? How would the world answer that? At what point is someone rich? You know how they'll answer that? <laughs> Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Are you rich enough? Uh, just a little bit more. Since the 2020 pandemic shutdown, there has been a historic shift in the separation of wealth. Since the 2020 shutdown, the top 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet have more resources and have more assets than the bottom 50% combined. Let that sink in a little bit. How many here would like to be among the top 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet? I think that might be fun to try. Anyway, I, I wouldn't mind trying it. Remember last week we learned that it's not wrong to have stuff. It's not long, wrong to have money. It's wrong when that stuff or when that money has you. 
And there's a difference. We talked about it last, last week. The reality of the situation, though, is that we are a part of the top 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet. Think about this. The truth of the matter is that 3 billion people on this planet live on an average of $2 a day. And so you, each and every one of you, are among the top 1% of people, of wealthiest people on the planet. We have rich people problems. Maybe you don't think so, but let me, let me convince you. When the most frustrating part of your day is when the internet goes down or is slow, we have rich people problem. How many hate that little buffering circle when you're trying to click on something and it's just, oh, rich people problem. When you go to the refrigerator, you open it up and it's filled with food, but nothing you can eat. There's nothing to eat. It's packed with stuff, but nothing you can eat. We have rich people problems. When our Amazon order takes more than one day to come from across the country and we get so frustrated, we have rich people problems. So the good news is we are rich. The bad news, we are rich. Last week we said that there are, again, 2,500 scriptures dealing with money, and most of those scriptures are warnings for those who have money. If we were to sum up all of the warnings that the scripture gives to us concerning money, then I believe we would come to the conclusion that the more we have the harder it is to live by faith. The more we have, the harder it is to live by faith. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Then he said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Growing up, I was just telling Andrew, growing up, I would, uh, we, I would spend a lot of time at uh, the, the ball stadiums, Shea Stadium. Was, I was a Mets fan. I'm still a Mets fan. And uh, many times, not many times, but every once in a while, you know, I could afford the bleacher seats as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. <laughs> but then around the third or fourth inning, you try to make your way down to the box seats. <laughs> if the season holders didn't, didn't come, you can pay the usher. And uh, you, you, you give him a, a, a you know, 10 or $20 bill and he'll get you a seat right on the box seat. So seven innings at least, I was down close to the field in the first base on the, or the third base line. And, and you know, that's, when, that's where foul balls come really quick. And you got to be alert. And if you're sitting in one of those seats and someone screams, watch out! You, you, you watch out because a ball is coming at you. You see, it's an instinctive reaction. When you're driving your car and your spouse screams, watch out, you, you take alert. What's going on? What's about to hit me? What am I doing wrong? You see, you're going two miles over the speed limit. <sighs> when Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard when talking about money, what's our instinctive reaction. <laughs> I'm okay in that area. That doesn't apply to me. That's talking about, you know, the sinners, not the righteous. It's not like, okay, what do I have to do here? It's like, eh. I think if Jesus is telling us to watch out and be on guard, then perhaps we need to look a little closer at what is going on around us in the area of money. Jesus goes on to give us a parable. Oh, I left my Bible here. He goes on to give us a parable on the topic. And it's found in Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 16. It says this. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. God was not mad that this farmer was rich. In fact, God was the one who blessed this farmer with just the, amount of, just the right amount of rain to produce a great harvest, with just the right amount of sunshine. He created the planet and the soil. And so God blessed this farmer with abundance. So God was not mad that this man was rich. The problem with this farmer was that he was not rich toward God. That last verse says again, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. I believe that too often, and perhaps without even realizing it, we store up for ourselves more than we do the things in heaven. I believe that perhaps we are not as rich toward God as we might think. I believe this because it's something that I have discovered about myself. I believe this because it's something that I have to continually deal with and remind myself in my own life. Let me give you an example. Many of you know that years ago I was a bivocational pastor. The church I was pastoring for a while couldn't pay me and uh, and, uh, and then when they were able to, it was just a small part-time thing, and I worked as a maintenance supervisor for an apartment complex, but it was still hard to make ends meet. Julie was starting to work part-time, but she was finishing up her education. Uh, the girls were in public grade school, but when Jessica went to middle school, we started seeing a change, and she was being influenced by uh, a lot of the middle schoolers, and we, you know, we just didn't see that we, we didn't like the change, so we prayed about it, and we took the, the faith step to put all three of them in Christian school. That cost a lot of money. And so I was working two jobs. Julie was finishing up her education, wasn't really working. And so what I did, I promoted myself as a handyman in the community, the community web page, website pages and stuff like that. And I was able to get a lot of side jobs. And I always, you know, and when I started promoting myself as a, as a handyman, uh, I started getting calls from the community, but I also got calls from friends that I knew. And I also got calls from church people that I knew, my church and other churches. And, and I would, you know, if they're going to pay someone, if they're going to pay a plumber, I could save you a lot of money. Don't, don't, please don't call a plumber, you call me. I'm not saying that now, I don't have the time, I'm just saying back then. <laughs> but back then I said, oh, please just call me, I'll, I can get it done, I'll save you a lot of money. And so that's what was happening. I was getting a lot of jobs from friends and family and Christians, Christians that I knew. And I always gave them the, you know, the discount. It was just a special deal. You know, whatever it was, I'd charge them less because, again, I just wanted to help bless them. But then I felt as if I was, I was helping a friend of mine, a Christian friend of mine, um, replace his water heater. And we're talking as I'm working and I'm doing this and this and that. And I was feeling as though that God was telling me not to charge this friend of mine. I was like, God, I could really use that money right now. <laughs> you know, my truck is acting up. I can use the gas money. I can use, you know, but I just really felt like he was calling, hey, don't charge this, this man. I said, ah, all right, not a problem. Uh, and so I didn't charge him. I just told him, hey, listen, I, I just feel as though God wants me to bless you this time around. No, but I, I was going to pay a plumber all this money. It, it's okay. And then when I got home, God was speaking to me. He says, I blessed you with those skills those talents and those abilities. I didn't go to school for that stuff. I, I went to Bible school, but God put me on a, roll, on, a, on a road that taught me these things. And he says, now I'm going to ask you to give back what I blessed you with. I said, okay. I didn't charge the guy. He says, no, no, no. I don't ever want you to charge church people. Oh, but God, you know, that's the bulk of my work right now. <laughs> I don't really promote. I don't pay for advertisement. Word spreads around church. You see, I don't ever want you to charge church people. Now, let me just say this. This is my personal conviction. 
I'm not saying that this is what you should do. Again, we have our own personal relationship with the Lord, and we have to discover and decide what God is calling us to do and, and what he is convicting us individually. So again, this was something God was speaking to my life. Uh, it wasn't wrong for me to charge people for my services, but this wasn't a career for me. This was just a way to help pay for my kids' Christian school that I felt God was leading me to do. What I didn't realize was God was teaching me to invest more in the kingdom so that I would reap more from the kingdom. And that he led me to, to, to send my kids to Christian school and that he was asking me to trust him to provide the funds. Well, I know you're going to trust me. That's why you blessed me with these skills. and That's why I'm charging these people. And I, I was wrestling with God. It took me a while to get to that point. But I says, you know what, God? You did bless me. I mean, my dad, is a, my dad was a butcher. He had no idea how to, how to you know, put a, a doorknob together. And here I am putting, you know, soldering copper and, and electrical and carpentry and all these things. And you blessed me by giving me this talent. This is how I'm going to give you back a portion. I'm going to bless your people because of what you have given me. What I discovered was that the more I sowed into the kingdom the more I reaped from his kingdom. And the money I would have earned asking those people and charging those people would not have paid for the Christian school. But God blessed me one way and another, this, this, and that. And those bills got paid. Would have never done that, I believe, if I had not obeyed the Lord in this area. Because of this, I now have a personal conviction that probably differs than many. I don't know. Especially when it comes to fundraisers. Again, let me share with you my personal conviction. It's not necessarily what I'm saying you should do because God needs to speak to you. I rather give to a cause. I, all this led me to the place where I rather give to a cause than get something in return for it. And let me explain. If I buy a sub to meet a financial need for our children's ministry, there are financial needs, our children's ministry, our kids, whatever it is. If I buy a sub to help meet a financial need in our children's ministry or any ministry, then let me ask you a question. Is my reward in heaven or is it in the form of that sub? I like subs. I don't mind eating a sub. I don't mind taking that as my reward. I just don't. I... But to be honest, I'd rather just give to children's ministry and allow God to fill my refrigerator up in heaven with subs so that when I get there and I'm given my mansion, I walk in that kitchen and open up that refrigerator, there's a refrigerator full of subs. But it gets you thinking, doesn't it? Again, this is my personal conviction. I'm not saying fundraisers are wrong. I'm not saying that this is what you should do. But this is, how, this is what helps me focus my attention on heavenly treasures. That's all. So how do we become rich toward God? The way this parable tells us we should be. Well, number one, we talked about this. We, we touched on this last week. Think like a steward not like an owner. Think like a steward, not like an owner. We touched, again, on this last week, Psalm 24, verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's everything. This verse doesn't mince words now, does it? Doesn't leave room for loopholes or exceptions. Everything we have belongs to God. The house we live in, the car we drove to church today belongs to Him. The smartphone that we keep in our pocket belongs to him. The TV we watch at night, God's. The clothes we wear, the money we have in our pockets, all belongs to him. The life we live, the air we breathe, it all belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
the question now that we need to ask then with this understanding, what are we doing with God's possessions? What are we watching on the TV set that belongs to God? What are we looking at on that iPhone that belongs to God? What are we doing with the skills that we have that God gave us and belongs to Him? Going back to my story as a maintenance man. What are we doing with the money that may be in our pocket or our bank account but belongs to God? Last week we established that if culture can deceive us in the area of money, it's really Satan's deception through culture, if we can be deceived in the area of money, then we can be deceived in many other areas of our life. And if we are not good stewards with our money, then we will have a hard time being good stewards of every area of our life. So what's the first step? Really, it's the only step I'll give to you today. The first step to becoming a good steward of your money. What do you think it is? Did she put it up there? Tithing. If you believe that God owns everything in your life and don't tithe, well, then I have to question what you really believe. I heard a preacher once say that tithing is a brick wall to our faith. I had to think about that. What does that mean? Tithing is a brick wall to our faith. He is saying that your faith will be limited if you're not a tither. That you cannot continue to grow in your faith if you don't trust God with your finances. You're stuck until you can trust God in this area. The tithing principle is taught throughout the scriptures. It was first mentioned in Genesis when Abraham started giving his 10%. It was established in the Levitical system, in the Levitical law. It was taught by the Old Testament prophets time and time again. And it was reiterated by Jesus himself several times in the New Testament. But one of the most important verses in the scriptures about tithing is mentioned in the book of Malachi. Malachi is one of the Old Testament prophets. And listen to what God says. This is Malachi prophesying. And so God is saying it through Malachi uh, to the children of Israel through, again, God's word through the prophet Malachi to the children of Israel. It's, um, I, didn't, I didn't put it, it's a long scripture, so just listen up. But it's in Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12. It says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? How are we to return? Isn't that a great question to ask the church today? See, I think a lot of churches, a lot of just our church across this country needs to be, how can we return to the Lord? Anyway, let me go on. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, the Lord says. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. He says this, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields and, and, will, uh, and will cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be delightful will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Well, the children of Israel at this point in history had been living in sin. They had been living in captivity, no longer their own nation. And Malachi prophesies about how they can begin returning to the Lord. God says that they have been living under a curse because they have, not, because they have been robbing God in the area of tithes and offerings. That's pretty serious stuff. I don't know about you. Is there any way? Do you see any other way to interpret this scripture? I believe this scripture is telling us that a person who does not tithe lives under a curse. I don't know. You can, 
try to interpret it differently. I just don't, I don't see it. You see. But then God says something so incredibly special. And it's something he doesn't say anywhere else in scriptures. This is the only place. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there, might be, there may be food in my house. And then he says this, test me in this. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Pour out so much blessings that you will not have room enough for it. Nowhere else in the scripture does God allow us to test him. Only in the area of tithes and offerings. No, in fact, the devil comes up to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus quotes scripture, says, do not test the Lord thy God. For it is written. Only in this area are we allowed to test God. And I am confident that those who have tested God in this area have been blessed beyond measure. And I am confident that those who decide to test God in this area will be blessed beyond measure. When I was first asked to be the pastor of, of a church in Mannheim, the church was uh, about to close its doors. It had only 10 people left. It owed um, a little over $30,000 in back taxes and mortgage payments. That's not the credit card and all the other utilities and the expenses. I mean, it was, this was mortgage stuff and back taxes. And so it was on the verge of bankruptcy and, and foreclosure. They didn't want to do that. They believed that God had planted a Pentecostal church in the midst of a, very, a lot of very liturgical churches and that there needed to be a Pentecostal work in Mannheim. They couldn't pay a pastor. They needed a bivocational pastor. I had been living and working in the community for three years. I agreed to be their interim pastor for, for six months. I wasn't attending that church. I was a part of another church, uh, but they asked me to be the interim. My first Sunday service, I preached to 15 people. That's with my family of five. <laughs> And so the next day, the very next day, I preached Sunday, 15 people, but, uh, you know, and it was probably, it was, it probably uh, not as much. It was two aisles all the way longer. So this sits about 300. They sat around, um, those pews probably can fit about 225, 250. And there were 15 people, one there, one there, one there, one there. You know, it couldn't, anyway, no one got that because you're all spread out. No one wants to sit up front, does he? (laughs) 15 people in a, congreg- in, a, in a sanctuary of 250. And I get a call on Monday from one of the board members. I'm at work, I'm not at church, obviously. And he says, Pastor, he says, we have an oil tank that's buried out back that, um, he, and it was, it was still cold, it was, uh, I think it was in the springtime, um, that heats both the, uh, the parsonage and the church. And that's been leaking for quite some time now. And the oil is just starting to surface and expose itself. And one of the neighbors discovered it, and they called the EPA on us, and we're being fined. And we have, whatever it was, 30 days to rectify this. So my first day on the job, it went from $30,000 of debt to well over $60,000 of debt. I'm thinking, gee, thanks, God. What you doing here? <laughs> and so I went into the next the board meeting that following week, and I says, "What's going on, guys? Where where are we? I mean, I'm the interim pastor. Let me see what's going on, the finances, that kind of thing." And I had discovered that months and months prior, when things were starting to get tight financially, they stopped giving to missions. Now they had set up their missions as their tithe. The first 10% of everything that came in undesignated in tithes and offerings went to missions. We have it set up a little differently. We take our missions offering and, every, and we support a lot of missionaries, but we don't have to typically take money out of general fund to pay our, our missions. And so that's a testimony to, to your faithfulness. But they had set it up that the first 10% of undesignated uh, um, offerings went towards their tithe, towards missions. Well, they had pulled that when things got tight. 
And so I was like, you know what, guys? We're not going to ask the people to be faithful with their tithes if we're not faithful with our tithes. So figure out what's 10% and let's start giving. So we picked up one missionary. We started contributing. There was a, a Christian uh, a faith-based ministry that ministered to unwed, um, unwed pregnant teenagers in our community. We started giving to them. There was a youth organization in our community and, and not associated with any church. It was kind of a, 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 um, a multi-church kind of a supported thing. And so we started giving to them. Three organizations right off the bat, 10% of what the 15 people were given <laughs> uh, went towards ties. Can I tell you, within one year, all of that debt was paid off? With, within one year, it was just all gone. All the, all the back taxes and the mortgage and the stuff that would have closed our doors, you see. I mean, I can't tell you where it came from. It didn't even come mostly from our people. We would get people who just send a check. They were passing by the church or they came to visit Lancaster on vacation and, and, and they, they felt God was sending, asking them to send money. And, and let me tell you, when you visit Lancaster for, for vacation, no one really goes to Mannheim unless you're going to the car auction. You know? it's, not a vaca- it's, it's off the beaten path in Lancaster. So it's not like we got a lot of vacationers come to our church and felt like they needed to get. But for some reason, God would lead them. And we saw the floodgates of heaven open up to us when it came to that area. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the Lord says, that my that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for enough for it. Let me ask you this question. Is your faith strong enough to test God in this area? I hope it is. Also notice how the scripture uses the word bring and not give. It speaks to the mindset that we are not owners that we can give anything. We are stewards that bring the first 10% of what God has given us back to him. You see, it's easier to bring the tithe into the storehouse when you don't see the money that you have as yours in the first place. And let me just say this. The first 10% is a tithe. I think the order of which we give is, is very important too. You see, it's the first 10%. How do we become rich towards God? One, think like a steward, not like an owner. Number two, invest more than you spend. Invest more than you spend. Sounds like a cultural money principle, but it's a, more of a biblical money principle. Let me explain. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This speaks to what I was saying earlier. Every second of every day, we have a choice to either spend or invest. Every second of every day, we have a choice to either spend or invest. I can spend my time, my talents, and my treasures on things that die with time, or I can invest my time, talents, and treasures in things that will last forever. Investing in heaven is basically a non-conditional way of giving. Basically, that's how I, I've come to, to, to see it. And that's how I live my life. It's, it's a non-conditional way of giving. Let me explain. When I was in Bible college, there were several buildings at Valley Forge Christian College, now the University of Valley Forge, that were named after a large business owner contributor. Christian guy, good guy, from what I understand. I don't know him, but everyone talked really good about him. And his name was on a lot of those buildings. And it was the Cardone Student Center. And it was the Cardone Commuter Lounge. It was the Cardone Hallway that bridged the gap between the classrooms and the, and the administration. And I always wondered... If that man who gave all that money to meet those needs when they were building these buildings, if he required his name to be on that building or not. And I wonder where his reward was for that. 
I always wondered if that man, if he required his name, hey, I'm going to give this and, and all I ask is my name put on there and recognize my family's name. Where do you think his reward is? Actually, it's now in the dumps because those buildings are gone. It didn't last at all. This week, the local Christian radio station, maybe you've been listening to it, they had a fundraiser. They called it a hope raiser. Good name for it. Uh, and to help them stay on the air because they're completely listener sponsored, you know, they're, they're completely listener supported and, and they make their money by having these fundraisers throughout the year. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. They needed to stay on the air. They, they, they provide Christian music. I listen to it. I'm blessed by it. And so it's not a problem. But without fail, every year, someone calls in and gives a matching fund donation. How many know what I'm talking about? Matching fund donation? Well, now that you know my personal conviction, I have a, I have a problem with this. I, it just, ugh. If I'm going to give, I specifically don't give in that hour. I don't know, maybe it's wrong. Maybe now I'm getting into my flesh than more in my conviction. I don't know. But let me explain why it bothers me. In other words, this matching funds challenge is whatever they can raise in the next hour, they give a time limit. Hey, in the, in the next hour, we have a matching fund. So whatever we raise in this hour, those funds will be matched. And they set a goal, $5,000. See, our, our matching funds donor said that they will match the funds up to $5,000. So in other words, if they only raise $2,000 that hour, the donor will give $2,000. And if they raise $3,000 from other people in that one hour, that donor will say, well, I'll give $3,000, up to $5,000. Well, I don't know. I have a problem with it. Again, it's my personal conviction. I'm not saying it, it, it should be everyone's conviction. You see... You know, because God really only knows the heart of that man or that woman. But it's giving with conditions attached to it. If $5,000 is in your heart to give, well then give it. It's giving with conditions. To, if, if you give $40 to that radio station in that giving hour where it's matching funds, do you get $40 credit in heaven or $80 credit in heaven? Well, I only gave 40, but, you know, someone else has given my other 40, so I'll get that credit. I, I, you know, maybe it's my limited mind that's trying to understand something I just don't need to understand and just... But where is the reward? Where is the treasure? Where am I investing? Being rich toward God is learning how to invest in heavenly things. It's being able to decipher our heart's motive when we give. Last week, we learned that stewardship should be a matter of the heart, not the head. So how do we become rich towards God? Number one, think like a steward, not like an owner. Number two, invest more than you spend. And number three, live to give. Live to give. Proverbs 22, verse 9, A generous man will, will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Last week, I shared, shared with you a story of how my daughter gave $100 to a, uh, to a young man she knew. Let me share, because I see some people here that weren't here last week. My daughter had a graduation, a, gra a high school graduation, a party. Uh, she, was getting, she was graduating high school. She was getting ready to go to Southeastern. We had a party, and a lot of people gave her cards with money in, in it, and it would help her then, because she was going to live in Florida. She needed gas money. She needed food money, whatever it is, and, and this really blessed her. She took a $100 bill, and put it in her wallet for emergencies. Um, and it's a good thing to do, right? Well, her and her friends one summer uh, went to Friendly's and they sat down and lo and behold, her waiter is someone she knew from church. So we were on staff at New Life Church then and there was a young man her age, maybe a year or two older, who was working his way through Bible College, Lancaster Bible College. And he was working all summer long to pay for that college tuition. Now, we were in a position where we didn't know how we were going to pay Jessica's tuition. She would get student loans. She would have to take as much as possible. We'd have to work. Julie and I, were, we weren't sure how we were going to pay it, but, you know, we're taking the step of faith. We're going to earn. We're going to do what we have to do. Blah, 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 blah. So Jessica's in this friendlies, and she keeps feeling as though the Lord is speaking to her to give this young man that $100 that's in her wallet. 
She gets so nervous, she, 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 calls, she calls us. Julie answers the phone and says, Mom, what do I do? I feel like I should give this to him, but, you know, that, that $100 is important. You to, always told me to keep $100, and, and just in case emergencies, I should have gas, cash. And so Julie says, well, if you feel God give, telling you to give it, give it. So she gave it at the end for a tip. She left, she waited in the car and watched through her glass and, and through the window of the, of the friendlies, his response. And she was blessed. A week later, we hear that Julie's mother-in-law's boss decided to give Jessica a $10,000 scholarship every year that she's in college. Five years, she graduated with her master's with that scholarship. And when Kimberly came, he upped it a little bit so that that money could help Kimberly as well. Jessica so generously, she reaped generously. But now let me tell you this. The investment that she made into that young man's life outlives Jessica. Because that young man went to Bible college. And that young man is following God's call upon his life. And that young man will bear fruit for the kingdom. Jessica is a part of that story. And the fruit that is born for the kingdom, Jessica had a part in providing. Opportunities to give are opportunities to be a part of a bigger story that you might not know about until you reach heaven. But opportunities to give are an opportunity to be a part of a bigger story. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day we remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. It's the day we remember how everyone threw palm branches on the road and they came singing, Hosanna to the King. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let me read you a portion of that scripture. I think we read it this morning, but let me uh, uh, read some of it again. Verse 21, Matthew 21 says this, uh, verse uh, uh, 1, I think. As they approached Jerusalem and began, and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at, uh, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to, to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Jesus is saying, hey, those two donkeys that I'm asking you, they belong to someone else. So if anyone asks you, what you're doing taking these donkeys, tell them that the Lord needs them. Let me ask you this question. Does the Lord really need anything from us? He owns it all anyway. Why does, then he, why does he then even ask for the donkey or the cult? Why did Jesus need the five loaves and two fishes? Yet it was given to him. Why did he need the one mite that the widow woman gave? Why did he need the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea gave and, and lent him? Why did he need this donkey and her young coat? He didn't need any of it, but he asks for it. Why? He could have done all of these miracles without asking or receiving any of these things from these people. But he was inviting these people to be a part of a bigger story. There's a guy in heaven who owned two donkeys that was part of one of the greatest stories that ever played out throughout history. He's up in heaven saying, I gave those donkeys. There's a young boy up there, and probably not a boy. He's saying, I gave five loaves. I gave two fish. I thought it just meant me giving up my lunch. But God used it for so much more. When you see an opportunity to give, it's God giving you an opportunity to be a part of his great story. When you tithe, God is writing you into the story. When you serve, God is writing you into the story. When you give, God is writing you into the story. He is inviting you to be a part of what he is doing. He doesn't need us, but he invites us to be a part. And so let me say this in closing. Again, how do we become rich toward God? We think like a steward, not like an owner. We invest more 
and we spend and we live to give. As Christians, our goal is to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Think about that phrase, fully, fully devoted. Fully devoted will not happen until we learn to let go of what we don't want to let go of. This step of obedience can literally transform your life. And I pray that God would give, I pray that you give God the opportunity to write you into his story. I pray that you make a decision today to test the Lord in this area. Let me read it again. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I pray that you would look for opportunities to give and give generously. Think like a steward. Invest into the kingdom and live to give. Let's close our eyes and pray. Oh God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. All of it, Lord God, not just the comfortable parts, not just the convenience parts, not just the parts that tickle our ears and make me warm and fuzzy inside. But even for things like this, that's one of the hardest things to, to bring into alignment in our lives with your scriptures. But your scriptures, your word are clear. So we ask that you would help us to be stewards. We ask you, Lord God, to open our eyes that we might see what areas we can invest in. Kingdom investments. We ask that you would give us opportunities to give. Give of our time, our talents, our treasures, wherever and whenever. Lead us and guide us in this area. Teach us. Help us. Lord, I pray that our faith this day would grow strong enough to test you in this. That we would experience how faithful you are when we, when we obey you in this area. I thank you for it. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor James. I hope you enjoyed today's message. My prayer is that you would always experience all that God has for you. New Franklin Assembly exists to advance God's kingdom, to encourage God's people, and to serve our community. If you're in the Chambersburg area, we would love to have you join us for a live service. For more information, please visit our website at www.newfranklinag.org. Thank you. God bless.